Millions up for grabs. Retailers closing worldwide. Salespeople losing their jobs. Online sales at an all-time high. Your route to financial freedom. Getting best sellers online. Getting a piece of the action. Learn from the top sellers. Become a top seller. Ecom leaders start now. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Ecom Leaders Podcast. I have with me an absolutely fantastic special guest today, Mr. Scott Dietz from Northbound Group, who has sold uh, hundreds of millions, right? In hundreds of millions. I mean, so I think one deal is 100 million plus, or at least in that range of um, Amazon FBA businesses and other types of businesses representing sellers to get the highest multiple, highest valuation. And not only that, but working with you to actually make the company more valuable, not just fiddle around with papers, but my understanding, Scott, you are an absolute pro in getting sellers to actually juice their company and make it just even more amazing and more juicy for them. So welcome to the show. Scott. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, so, and uh, yeah, I would say um, our passion, let me call it that way, is that, um, you know, we believe that the, uh, for most sellers, the bulk of the money comes when they exit. So, um, but maybe they're too busy in the day to day that they don't spend enough time focusing on it. Uh, so if more than half your money is going to come when you exit, but you're only spending 1% of your time thinking about it, mm. <laughs> um, that might not be um, the, the right way to allocate your time. And so we like to just educate educate uh, and help people along through the process and think about what does a buyer value and why. And then um, and then if you know that that's where you need to end up, uh, then what can you do before you exit to make your company as valuable and as attractive as possible? So uh, so I think you hit the nail on the head. We like to do two steps, make yourself valuable and then exit um, is kind of our two part focus. Yes, I think that's brilliant. I've um... And as, as you know, uh, we have been looking to acquire some companies. We're in talks with several, and I'm looking at it as a buyer, right? And there is, you know, more than one that we've talked to that are, they've kind of taken their brakes. I mean, sorry, their gas off the pedal. They are no longer growing. And they're like, okay, we're ready to sell. And like, it's very unattractive, especially like you start talking. And then 30 days later, it's crashed a certain amount, 10%, mm-hmm. 20%, half. I mean, some of these like, when you're not working in your business and you're just like in talks to sell and you're not actively growing it, uh, that's a really, I mean, it, it just seems such a bad practice. And, but I understand some people, they may have given up. They're, they're selling because they're giving up on the business, right? Um, or on that model. So I guess, how, how do you see a lot of people selling because they're, they're kind of done with it or they're just selling and they're just continuing in the game uh, after selling Sure. Yeah. And, and we're a little bit, um, uh, I'll talk in general in the industry and then we at Northbound, we're a little bit skewed um, because our client base and our market segment is uh, what we refer to as premium valuations for premium companies. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we tend to, mm-hmm. to represent the top five or 10% of e-commerce sellers. So, you know, we, we have a little bit of a different profile. Um, but if I, if I back up a half a step and I think about, you know, why do people sell? There is certainly a significant part of the market of, and I'm sure anybody who's out there, if you are an entrepreneur, e-commerce or Amazon or otherwise, one of the days that you think about selling is the day that this thing shuts down on 
you and you realize how risky it is to run it or it's the day that the shipment doesn't get there and you miss the holidays and you just say i just got to get out of this thing right mm -hmm. you know obviously that's generally not the best time to get the best valuation um and and so we always like people to think about their exits strategically in in and most of the time what you're describing with this plateau is i i always like to think of it as like the old bell curve is if i've got something that goes up and up and up and then it starts to level off typically most buyers are going to like yourself are going to think well if it went up and now it's level what's the next step <laughs> it's going to go down uh and so you want to exit your business before that that trend starts to change that way if you're doing it strategically and sometimes what happens is frankly people run it a little bit too long they get bored maybe it was their first products you know they they pick something small and light because the course told them to but it's absolutely boring and it's driving them crazy and they wait too long and then they decide to exit and so that's why you do find in the general marketplace that there are a number of things out there you know that don't look as attractive Active because they've kind of hit that level off period. And from you as a buyer, you know, you're obviously only caring about what the future of the thing is. So when you see that, you've got to be, you know, you've got extra concerns. So, um, you know, we, we try and encourage sellers, if you're planning your exit correctly, you're doing it while you're still on the upswing, as mm -hmm. opposed to waiting until it's plateaued. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And um, so we met, I believe, at CenterCon potentially. Yep, SellerCon. Yep, down yeah, Florida, Celicon. I believe. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you what's really interesting. Um, I, I, I think, uh, anyway, a mutual friend obviously introduced us. And what's what I find just amazing about you, let me just say something, is when you come and first talk to you, you know, it seems like you're very uh, just humble and you're just like having fun. You're just chatting. It's your very, seems like not business, you know, you're just like just talking. And then when you actually get down to it, the amount of spreadsheets and knowledge and crazy crunching that you and your team do is like mind boggling. And I honestly, it's the top of the top that I've seen. And honestly, there was one person who I actually recommended to you. I don't know and maybe you remember I recommended or not, but they were working with another team and another person. I said, why don't you just give Scott a try? And they went over to you and they just exited for over 50 mil. Um, it's a public thing anyway. And I was like, just talk to Scott. I'm like, he'll do something with you. And he's like, I don't know. It seems to cost a lot. What with these people, sometimes these big business guys are selling like tens and tens of millions. They go like, I'm afraid to pay like 10 grand. I'm like, oh my gosh. Anyway. So it, it, it's, <laughs> it's a little interesting sometimes business people anyway, but just the comment is that when you get down into your passion, it is like, it, it's something incredible and it, and you, you don't get that just from looking at you. You know what I mean? It's like, once you talk, you get to another level. And so, I don't know. I just find that interesting. I just yeah. Well, you know, and thanks. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I think for me, um, where, where all of that starts is when somebody is your mentor and helps you. So, um, uh, um, my first exit, um, uh, how I got into this was close to 20 years ago. Um, and I did it myself. Um, uh, and I got a buyer to the table. We shook hands on the deal. So that to me, because I was young and foolish at the time, <laughs> meant that I thought we actually had a deal done. Uh, the deal fell through, um, uh, uh, of course. Um, and um, uh, it was a seven-figure 
figure deal. Um, and so I met, I got depressed and then I met my mentor um, who has done, um, uh, I think north of 10 billion in deals. Oh my um, gosh. So yeah, so that's is that, a real is that number. Is name public? What's, what's, what's uh, uh, um, uh, well, not, not, not officially public. So, uh, um, okay. uh, uh, but, uh, but I just call him, uh, he's my buddy, Terry. Okay. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, he's an advisor now at Northbound. Um, uh, and, uh, and so what we, you know, what he showed me was what I was thinking I was supposed to be focused on as an owner was actually what I thought was strategy was just tactics. And what real strategy is, is positioning yourself in the marketplace that makes you compelling to a potential buyer. And, uh, and, and so my story was we took the exact same company, took 18 months worth of planning, um, really looked at what was going to make the company valuable. And then we went back out to market and we got more than three times the price that I was going to mm. get on my own. Mm. And so it was that day when that wire comes through. And for you know those of you that maybe sell on Amazon, think of it as like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Prime Day, and uh, you know, and all of that combined, and all of a sudden, it just hits into your account. And it, that was the first, you know, thought that I had was that if I hadn't met my mentors, there was a sort of a group of them. Um, uh, I would have not ever really thought about all of these things, which meant I would have left two thirds of all of the hard work that I ever put out on the mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the day that I thought, geez, I've got to help a bunch of other people do this. So I think maybe part of the reason that I come across that way is, uh, you know, I created a value within Northbound when I started it. And it says, um, we don't work for businesses. We work for owners that have businesses. Mm -hmm. And so our whole mindset is that, you know, we think of people as people first that are going to have multiple business ventures. Most of our clients do. They're either buying companies or then they're looking to buy and then sell, start over, uh, partner with a private equity. And so if you keep the focus on the human aspect of it, that's what wakes us up. You know, we got uh, you know, a little over 20 full-time people and we create, you know, our mission is let's create life-changing events for entrepreneurs and e-commerce uh, entrepreneurs specifically. But when you keep your focus on that, then you get into the fun of what this is, not just into the math. Um, and then you realize that in order to do this properly um, and get the highest valuation, you got to have a whole ton of math behind. You got to have a whole ton of negotiating skills. You got to have a whole ton of legal mm -hmm. skills, tax planning, all those things. But when it stems always back from, you know, we, we don't represent, for example, we're not what's called a buy side firm. Mm -hmm. So we don't, um, we will represent clients that are entrepreneurs that might want to buy companies, but we typically don't work for, you know, a large private equity firm. Mm -hmm. And the reason isn't that we don't value what they do, um, that we have close relationships with them, but we value the excitement of having an owner move from not having financial freedom to having financial freedom. And then they get to go pick what they want to go do with their life after that. So, uh, so maybe that's what comes across is just that intense passion around that. And that's what happened to me. And, you know, it's a way to give back. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love, I love the, the purpose. It's uh, entrepreneurs. I mean, great people. I'm, we need help. I mean, all the time, you know, Un, <laughs> unguided, unguided, just like wild um, activity. So appreciate that. And then could you, you know, just for uh, uh, if, if you've calculated this, what's the cumulative, cumulative amount of deals that Northbound or you or combined have transacted in terms of selling uh, companies? That's yeah. So I would say um, uh, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I would say definitely north of a quarter billion. Um, uh, 
uh yeah so i'd say you know somewhere in in you know uh you know I'm, like i said don't have it exactly there and that's probably what i'd say is just sort of in the e-commerce space mm -hmm. um i've been doing this uh you know for you know longer in other types of transactions but that's kind of what our focus uh you know is i think that'd be relevant transactions for the audience so uh yeah we've been through it you know uh dozens of times um and uh you know have seen kind of uh a lot of you know different types of things uh and uh you know and when I think about the the why of why people exit, um, uh, there's a lot of different question. reasons why. Mind somehow. That was literally okay. my next question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Like why why do sellers sell? Right. Of course, there's of course they're afraid. Right. That's one. Let's put that into one bucket. Hey, yep. your Amazon account might get suspended. Um, competitors might come in. Uh, the Chinese might come in at a low price. Okay, you scared. I will put that into or fearful or cautious. Okay, that's one bucket. Um, but what are the benefits, right? Let's see if they sell, sure. regardless of the reason, why does a person sell? What do they get from selling a company that they've worked so hard to build? Yeah. So first of all, I'll, before I get to why do they, I'll start mm. with why should they? Mm, okay. um, and, um, uh, and, and the reason I say why should they is quite simple. Um, four things can happen to you when you become an entrepreneur with your company. Um, um, you can either die you can literally um, meaning die gone, die okay. you can die you're gone <laughs> you can fail mm -hmm. you can work in this business for the rest of your life mm -hmm. or you can exit mm -hmm. so when i put those four options out there <laughs> for most e-commerce entrepreneurs it's pretty easy to understand that uh you know first option's really bad uh failures you know sometimes can feel like dying uh staying in this business for the rest of my life doesn't sound that exciting and so i pretty much can narrow the funnel down to you that at some point in your life you should be planning an exit and then i go to if you're not going to exit some people say well i just want to continue running it mm -hmm. and then my answer to them is is then in my opinion you should be implementing a strategy that we refer to as you should be exiting to yourself. And so if you are going to be in a long-term hold position, the most common problem, and there's entrepreneurs littering the globe that have done it, they constantly re-up their money back into their own business, not getting money out of their business and diversifying their company or diversifying their asset base. So in essence, the way that I think about them is the people that go to Vegas and play blackjack and they say, I'm going to bet $100. And then if I win that, I'm going to bet 200 And then I'm going to take the 400 800 and that's how I'm going to get wealthy. And eventually what happens is that that math Vegas, let's just put it that way. They love when people like that show up, right? Exactly. And so the, the way that we think about it is that you should, if you're not exiting to a third party, you are exiting to yourself, which by, by that means is that you've got to get capital in to grow the company, which allows you to take dividends and distributions out so that you diversify your asset base. No more different than if I gave you $10 million to put in the market, you probably wouldn't put it all in one stock, you know, mm -hmm. you get it into a diversified portfolio. So that's why I think people should exit. And then you go, why do you now that I know that I'm going to now it should be less about why should I exit? And it should be what type of an exit should I consider? Mm -hmm. And so okay. th th to me, that's a, it's an important, it's a subtle, but important mindset shift because a lot of people are trying to wonder why they should exit. And I say, no, 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 you're absolutely should. Is it going to be to yourself or to somebody else? And then if it's to somebody else, then here are the types of criteria and, and let me just, that let me you see, might want to build. Me, let me clarify a little bit, exit to yourself, yeah. right? So yeah. 
you prepare it to exit, meaning you, in this case, you're going to do the same number crunching, the same forecast, the same kind of magic that you do and plan out yep. your company, right? As if somebody yep. would buy it and you tell them this is the trajectory. So you do all that work, which is again, what you guys do and is, is magical. Uh, and then how do you, you sell it to yourself? Yep. So then way, basically, like, is there any yeah. actual physical transaction or is this a more of a mental sell? To yeah, no, no. So what you do then is you look at what the valuation of your company is. And let's say you built up a company that's making uh, a half a million dollars of profit a year. Okay. Yep. Uh, and it's on a growth rate. You're still growing the company. So it's growing at 25 to 40% a year. What most people will do is they'll take the profit from the company. And then what they'll do is they'll reinvest it back into buying more inventory, mm -hmm. staffing up mm -hmm. more thing. So even though they're profitable each year, they haven't actually pulled the capital out of the company and put it into what I refer to as the me account. Okay. So when I talk about executing a transaction with yourself, what you literally are doing on uh, not just on paper, but you're dedicating a certain percentage of your cash flow, you're getting an outside capital source, generally debt financing that's not personally guaranteed. Mm -hmm. If I'm personally guaranteeing the debt financing, then it's not like I really took the money out of the company. Okay, okay. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm diversifying my risk by taking on reasonable corporate debt that allows me when I make 500,000 to take roughly 20 to 25% of the cash flow of the mm -hmm. company um, uh, and move that into my own personal accounts, which diversifies it, which is the same if you think about it, is if I if I can take 30% of my cash each year um, uh, for um, uh, eight years or 10 years, that's the equivalent of selling for a two and a half to a four multiple. Okay. Right. Now, most of the time when people actually realize the economics of selling to themselves, they go, you mean it's going to take me eight years to get to a four multiple or I can sell today, which then gets to my, um, my next point is when you decide whether or not this was the eye opener when I sold my first company is mm -hmm. I was feeling like I wasn't getting enough value for my company. Uh, every entrepreneur, anybody on this podcast, no matter what multiple that Scott or Northbound we get you, we always are going to have the combination of should we ask uh, our conversation, should we ask for a little bit more, yeah. right? <laughs> and I'll never forget, uh, I'm sitting in the uh -huh. conference room, it's late at night, and uh, I'm looking to exit my first company with the group that we'd hired, um, and, uh, and I'm with the financial uh, guy crunching the numbers, uh, and I'm feeling like I'm not getting enough for my uh, a company, and he finds finally looks at me and he shows me this spreadsheet and he says, you do realize that after tax with the capital gains that you've got, you're in a software and technology business that you need to keep or maintain your profits for 12 more years, or you can get 12 more years of that by taking this offer. Mm. And that was the point at which I went show that to me again. Uh, and basically what it was, was that when you take the purchase price of what we were exiting the company, plus the earnout that we thought that we were going to achieve, and you take a capital gains tax rate against how much money we were actually able to take out of the company, the math that made it equal was that I'd have to work and be successful at the current level with no downturns um, mm -hmm. for 12 straight years. And, and that is that taking all the earnings? Or is that just what it was, you were it was taking? taking the it was taking 10%. the bulk of it. Okay. It was taking the bulk of it. It wow. was taking, you know, wow. it was, you know, it was more than 10%. You know, it was like taking, you know, a half to three quarters of it, you know. Mm. And so all of a sudden you just kind of get this worldview that you're like, 
I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at the time I was, you know, 30 or 31, I was like, Oh my God, that'd be like when I was 43. Right. You know, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> you know, so that's when it hit me that it was the right answer to exit mm -hmm. to somebody else. Uh, because now we'll get to why do people sell mm -hmm. is when you exit um, uh, and you exit to a third party that has capital, it allows you to accelerate the, the asset that you have built um, and get a payment stream in a much more rapid fashion and, and one um, second because this is this is yeah. depending on what what method you're selling now you're describing right. selling a portion or you're describing selling full or half or what well yeah and and uh, so now you know um uh, what i would say is almost all exits to a third party accelerate the amount of money that you get compared to a sell to yourself yeah right yeah by definition if you That's get more than one times multiple you know you, you're getting more than what you would you know be able to take out of cash flow right, right, right so right. um so so i i kind of start there and and then here's kind of the other mindset when we talk about people why they exit what we try to do is we try to with all of the you know modeling and the spreadsheets we put together is open up the dia di dialogue of what does an exit really mean mm -hmm. and most people start with thinking that it's i build it i build it i build it i build it um you know i sell it i get a one-time payment, 100% cash up front, and then I go live on an island. <laughs> you know, I go do something else in life, right? right, right? right, right, right. And, and the reality is, is almost every exit is far more nuanced than that. So most of the time people are valuing their business on what's called a trailing 12 months mm -hmm. multiple. Mm -hmm. So you probably heard that term. You take your trailing 12 months uh, uh, earnings um, uh, and then you multiply it times three. So if I'm making a half a million a year, multiply times three, it's a $1.5 million transaction. What we focus on is what is what we call the lifetime effective multiple, mm. because that's the only mm -hmm. multiple that ultimately matters in terms of what you achieve from this business. And I'll give you the same company. Um, and I will say to you, one option is that you sold for a three multiple um, and you get $1.5 million up front. Yep. And the other one is you sell for a five multiple. So which one is better? And most people will say it was the five multiple. And I'll say to you, oh, yeah, by the way, the five multiple only contains 15% down. It contains 50% based on an earnout that you have to double the profit of the business. Mm -hmm. And it contains the remaining 35% on a rolled mm -hmm. equity, hoping that the company that you got bought by does better than what you are doing today. Which and all of a sudden, they, and all of a sudden now, the, the, the answer flips. So, because <laughs> right, right, right. uh, like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Whoa, I don't want to do I that. I thought I was gone. I thought I was going to my island. Exactly. Yeah. What happened to the island is, is it sounds like I got to row my own boat to get to the island. What do I need the buyer for, right? So the answer to how you should be evaluating um, uh, when and how you should sell is based on um, when you exit, when all is said and done, what is the cumulative amount of compensation you received from that exit over the lifetime of the transaction? Okay. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the aligning multiple that allows you to look at two different offers. And one of them might be a cash offer and one might be an earnout. And what you do is unless you have an accurate forecast of what you think the business is, and then you discount it back for risk, because obviously money you don't get today has some risk to it, but it allows you to create the right framework for what's the right type of an exit. And, and that's the economic half. The second part of it is what do you want to go do in life? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you two different people that are exiting. 
exiting. One of them is absolutely does not want to work for, I'll call it, they always used to say when I was growing up, don't go work for the man, mm-hmm, right? Don't mm-hmm. go be an employee with somebody. Yep. But somebody else will say, that's not going, if I go sell to a private equity company, I'm not going to work to have a job. I'm getting to level up and get to interact with a whole bunch of really, really bright people mm-hmm. that are going to put a whole bunch of cash into my business. Because if I'm, you know, if I'm buying a company, uh, I'm buying it to grow it. So for other entrepreneurs, what they'll do is they'll say, you know what, I'd like to grow the company for a couple of years, build it up to a level of success. Then what I'd like to do is bring in a capital partner that helps me get some money off the table, but then puts, you know, a lot of money into the business. And then let's go take it to the next level. And then I'll exit the second portion of it three years down the road. Same exact business could have multiple exits and there really is no right right or wrong answer until you align what we call the owner objectives with Mm -hmm. the business capabilities and then the transaction structure. And you have to kind of lay all three of them down together. And that's why, you know, done right, you're, you're, you're thinking about these topics right from when you start your company um, because you know, your answers will change over time. And and hopefully what we want to be a resource is, is if you ask a more detailed, uh, arguably more thoughtful and intelligent set of questions around exiting, you'll come up with better answers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you said this lifetime uh, equity... Lifetime value, effective multiple. Lifetime yep. effective multiple. By lifetime, do you mean that the time from the exit to when you're done? So like you have to work for another two years and ah, that two years, is yeah. that what you mean? Or do you mean nope. like... No. I'll give you an example. Um, um, I'll use a million dollars of earnings just because it's easier to do the math. Yep. I get an, I, uh, in 2020, I made a uh, million dollars worth of profit. Okay. The buyer was willing to pay me a five X multiple on the business. Mm-hmm. So $5 million, yep. but I only took half of it in cash. So I got $2.5 million in cash. Okay. The other 2.5 million I took in equity or stock, which is called rolled equity in the new company that was the buyer. Could you, could you theoretically sell it right away? If you got it nope. normally, nope. okay, no. uh, 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 well, this is a private buyer. So let's assume it's a private buyer. Okay, private buyer. Okay. So I get new equity in the new company. They grow that company for a typical private equity will hold it for three to five years. And at the end of year three, they triple the business and they quadruple the value. So the value of my other 2.5 million went up by a factor of four. So 2.5 times four is $10 million. Yep. Plus I got my original 2.5 at cash at closing, mm-hmm. right? So I ended up with $12.5 million mm-hmm. and I was making a million dollars of earnings, right? When I sold it, right. that's a 12.5 <clears throat> lifetime effective multiple. Mm. But, but it I took five years to get it. But it took me five years to get it. So the answer to how you, you know, you answer these questions is you have to look at the total lifetime effective multiple over the time period against the risk to decide what type of transaction is best for you. And I can take um, one seller A that'll say, give me the uh, give me the five million dollars today. Right. And I can take another seller that'll say absolutely no way, because if I take my five million dollars today and I pay taxes on it let's just say I have to pay 20% taxes and I got $4 million left. What are the odds that you can take $4 million, put it out into the market and in three years invested in a stock that gets you 12 and a half million. 
Right. I mean, it's pretty you've got a, if you if you've got put, a, if you put it in Bitcoin a long time ago, you could have done it, but you could, you and it might be now you might lose all of it. <laughs> and, and it might be bearing as much risk as keeping it in the business. So some mm -hmm. people, if you've got a broker that can do that in a diversified way, please let me know. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's all risk versus reward. And what the job of what an advisory does um, uh, like us is that we help you first, if you don't think about lifetime effective multiple as the right uh, goalpost, mm -hmm. well, then you're kind of lost because you get excited about, oh, this one's a four and a half multiple, this one's a three multiple. So the way we break down then lifetime effective multiple is into what percentage of your lifetime effective multiple is guaranteed versus contingent. Mm -hmm. And then what part of the guaranteed is 100% guaranteed because you got it at closing. Right. Right. So everything has different risks. And when you do the analysis on that, usually what happens and, and then uh, the, the important point you said is how much do I have to work afterward to achieve that? And the reality is, is that um, uh, that is sometimes independent. There are companies that we roll equity when we do a transaction, but the seller only has to work. Uh, we did one. Uh, they worked uh, full time for 90 days, four hours a week for nine months, and then they were done. But they right. still roll 20 percent equity. So don't think that you have to roll. Um, you have to work there to roll equity. Some buyers require it, but others don't. Mm -hmm. But the, the the most important point is to think about if you if you break down what a transaction really is over the lifetime of it, you'll come up with a whole bunch of uh, more understanding of whether you should do a transaction or not. Okay, good, good, good. Yep. Um, and here's here's uh, one thing that I learned at a seminar here uh, locally, actually, uh, a couple of years ago, was the the relationship between the multiple and then the return on investment for the buyer. Okay, mm -hmm. and the way that that worked, and and again, you probably are familiar with this, which is right. If I'm buying a company at a you know three point two or three point three multiple or whatever, the inverse of that is the return I'm expecting. So that would be, let's say a 33% return. Because if I put in a million dollars and you know the purchase price is a million bucks, the earnings was 333,000 or whatever, <clears throat> then I'm paying three X multiple, which means yep. on my million, I'm expecting a 33% back. So similarly, if I buy a company at a 10 times multiple, you know, in an ideal world that company doesn't go down, that company will return a 10% return um, on that, right? So that yep. relationship to me, when I learned about that, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then the relationship of like how risky it is normally will go and that will depend on your multiple, right? If it's fully guaranteed hundred percent and like no way it's going to go down, a lot of people pay a higher multiple. Um, and that's, I think why software companies, when people are like in it and they're not going to ever churn or whatnot, you can get a crazy multiple because it's almost guaranteed that that's going to stay. And so um, do people think about it that way? Like, is that a right yeah. thing that I learned about. Or? So yeah, you did. And and here's one of the, uh, you know, one of the biggest educations uh, for, you know, and, 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 and I'm assuming this, um, um, you know, uh, the audience for this is more the sellers than the buyers. Yes, correct. Um, the, the one thing that um, the, the phrase that we always uh, talk with our clients is, uh, you have to understand that it's not what the seller is selling, it's what the buyer is buying. Mm -hmm. Or the way I describe it is your ultimate buyer of your company, think of them as like your ultimate customer. Okay. And so when you think about what you do, when you put up a listing on Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, do you list all the reasons why you think it's cool? Or do you list all the benefits of why your customers might think it's cool? 
for sure the customers, or at least you try right. to. <laughs> so everybody that, when people, when people say to me, well, I don't know anything about selling my business, I say, yeah, absolutely you do, because you put up listings every day describing things from the lens of your customer. Mm -hmm. If you think about your buyer as just another type of a customer, start describing your entire business from the lens of that buyer. Don't describe what you want out of the transaction. Describe what they'll get out of the transaction. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the first thing that you talk about is what we would refer to as the hurdle rate on the investment or the internal rate of return. Mm -hmm. So the internal rate of return is your 33%. Um, uh, and each investor will have a hurdle rate of what they expect that their investments to achieve. And if the market in the stock market's at 12% and you want a hurdle rate of three times the stock market because you're more risky, you've got a 36% hurdle rate. And so the, the way that I would add on to your calculation is that what you're doing is assuming a steady state, mm -hmm. which is a perfect easy way to describe it. What a buyer will then do is that they will put together a forecast of what they're going to do with what's called post acquisition lift. Mm -hmm. And then they will build that into the calculations of what the internal rate of return is. So I'm buying a company million dollars of earnings, I'm paying 3 million for it. They would never do it just for a 33% return. Mm, is, okay. and is, that, is that because, is that because the transaction and the due diligence and everything is so high? Is that correct? It, it's more because of this. It's because I know that if I buy five companies that all stay steady and get a 33% return, that's never going to happen. One of them is going to blow up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. And so I have to have my winners pay for my losers and mm. all my transaction costs. So I only want to buy things that I believe that I can add lift after the uh, uh, the acquisition. Mm -hmm. And I would uh, submit to any seller that a buyer of their company that doesn't believe in their mind that they can double the size of the company is probably not gonna wanna buy your company. Now, mm -hmm. you might say, well, wait a minute, but I'm not on the trajectory of doubling the size of my company. And now we'll get back to, um, uh, it's not what the seller is selling, it's what the buyer is buying. There's probably three reasons that you're not able to double the size of your company. You don't have um, uh, uh, provability um, and repeatability, mm -hmm. which basically means to me, you haven't figured out the model yep. or you have provability and repeatability, but you don't have scalability because you don't have the cash mm -hmm. uh, to be able to scale, or you've got provability, uh, uh, um, repeatability and scalability, but you don't have the team in place. So you don't have the infrastructure in order to make that happen. So when I'm looking at it as a buyer, I'll look at this great business and go, wow, I see 10 products here. Nice little brand. Um, they've got two variations per product. And the reason they only have two variations per product is because they don't have the cash to offer eight different variations per product. And that's why they're ranking five rather than ranking in the top three. Mm -hmm. I come in, I'm going to bring in three times as much capital. I'm going to expand Band. I already got the supplier. I add yellow, green, and blue to black and red. I add extra small and extra large to medium or whatever the variations are. They've got a theory or a thesis, an investment thesis in their mind that's going to double the size of the business. And now I'm going to go to the opposite question, which is the opposite of a lifetime effective multiple. Mm -hmm. 
is a buyer's effective multiple. Mm. So one way to think about your buyer, your, your return is this 33%. If you want to convert it to a multiple, if I buy something at a four times earnings that I double the profitability, what's my buyer's effective multiple? 50%. Two. Right. Two. So yeah, yeah, meaning exactly yeah. two multiple because yeah, it's fifty percent of the four, it's fifty percent of the four multiple. So what you're looking to do is find a scenario where you can have a good lifetime effective multiple for you, but there's enough growth in the business that it creates an acceptable buyer's effective multiple for mm-hmm. them. And mm-hmm. that's the definition to me of a win-win transaction. And it's usually you've gotten it to a certain level. Okay. And then there are still capabilities. You're still investing and have new products, but there's the next level that a buyer can bring synergy that you either don't want to do, can't do, don't have the capabilities to do, or it's easy for one of the buyers that's out there in the space to say, I'll throw $10 million at this to scale it to the next level. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to go talk to your spouse in life and say, you know what, I'm thinking that we should put $10 million (laughs) back into this. (laughs) Right. Um, uh, And that's the difference between a lifestyle business and in a, a scaled institutional business. So that's the dynamic. And you're exactly right. When you're analyzing it as a buyer, start with the baseline analogy, uh, you know, um, uh, but the, the, the odds that your company is going to stay exactly at that level, as I like to say, I'm a, a big football fan, is the same as having 16 ties in a row. Right. Things are either going up or they're going Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. And so your job as a seller is to sell them on the concept of why all you need to do is insert more gas in the car and it's going to go farther. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to be able to prove that story to them to create a compelling value proposition for the company, which then creates the multiple. And then if it's true, this is why the truth is so important, is if it's true and it actually happens, you can get a higher lifetime effective multiple by structuring the deal to get rewarded for when that future growth happens. Mm, and that's so. So, OK, I'm, I'm a buyer, OK, and I want to buy and I know that's yep. going to double or whatnot. What is to, you said a win-win scenario? Be like, hey, I'll get that, and then you get a percentage of you know the lift or something like that. And even if they have to do nothing, because if you're confident that you're going to grow it, and if you do, let's say double the earnings, then who cares if let's say the the seller will go up from a three multiple and go to a four multiple or a, even four and a half or five or something like that over the lifetime. Mm-hmm. But it's only when it grew. Now, do do sellers? go for that? Like, is that exciting for them? I mean, I guess you have to Ooh. Yeah. So for, yeah, if I, if I, if I flip it around and I'm on the buy side, um, there's a couple of different things that are out there. Um, one of them is, am I just buying assets? Um, I'll call it buying SKUs mm-hmm. and the seller is going to go away. So if the seller is going to go away, then it, it becomes a little bit more of, if I can get a seller to offload this business to me for a lower price, then I might as well do that because they're going to be gone and I get more lift. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing a transaction where we're going to work together afterward, I call that I'm not only selling SKUs, but skills because I want the person to come with it. The entire mentality of the deal starts to take on a different tone Mm -hmm. because nobody likes to sit around in a deal six months or a year later. And uh, I always call it, you know, to me, the easiest test of fairness is that we're at the closing table and then we're at a year later, we're having that same dinner um are we both happy or is one mm-hmm. of us made so much money uh off the other that it feels awkward right like, it, okay stay on for a 50k salary and grow the business and i get all of it that obviously would be terrible 
Right. Um, and, but if you're, yeah. but if the seller's going to leave and they're, you know, this is where, you know, my job is to represent sellers, but as a buyer, there are people out there. Why do you think that all buyers value businesses on trailing uh, 12 months earnings? Okay. I can, I can tell you this, there's not one buyer that actually values a business based on trailing 12 months earnings. Mm -hmm. And when I say that people are like, what are you talking about, Scott? Everybody does. I said, no, 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 no. They don't at all because how much of the trailing 12 months earnings do they get to keep? Right. <laughs> None of it. <laughs> That's all gone. You know, yeah. that was last year's trip to SellerCon or wherever it got spent. They don't get a dime of that. They're calculating it based on trailing 12 months earnings, but they're valuing it based on their projection future. of future 12 months, 24 months, and 36 months earnings. So the whole notion that buyers value businesses based on TTM is absolutely a farce. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 and so when you start adopting that mindset, you'll start looking at what are they going to get. Now, the other reason why if a business is growing and it's doubling, right, is it better to value it based on trailing or future if I'm a buyer? If you're a buyer trading tools, <laughs> you know, so, you know, you start to use this negotiating language. Uh, we don't ever pay for future earnings. Um, we only buy on historical earnings. Anybody here who's tried to sell a company has probably heard those words. We, nobody knows what the future can bring. Amazon's too risky, mm -hmm. you know, a whole litany of reasons. So you're going to start flaming the fire there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and the reality is, is that it's just an open conversation, because we all understand that those things are risky. And if I if I represent a seller, and they say, I'm going to double the earnings, and the buyer says, prove it, well, then you better be willing to, you know, only take a third of your money down and put two thirds at risk, because you just told them that this thing's going to double. Mm -hmm. So the conversation isn't about being on opposite sides of the table. Uh, you know, um, uh, the, the best way that I think about it is that in any good negotiation, that starts out with people on opposite sides of the table, eventually what you want as the deal matures and is about to close is that we turn around on the same side of the table and we look at a common future. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. common future is where are we at today? What are the risks today? What is the growth opportunities? And when we start to see, you know, when we're both looking at the same sunset, you know, we both know when's the right time, you know, what's the best way to structure a deal. And, and, and if we're always, you know, and it's natural that there's some tug and pull looking back and forth at each other from opposite side of the table, but in the proper deals, deals that get done that are aligned after the deal, you eventually have to open up the dialogue to get on the same side of the table. Mm -hmm. Now that happens less if it's just, I'm going to buy you and, you know, and, and, and right, you know, which is, it, 30 that, days they, later, you're going to be if, gone. If they're, the sellers, I mean, the, the seller is just gone, then typically the multiple is going to be much less because there is no shared future, right? The dinner table later, it's like, good luck, whether whether you doubled it or whether it crashed is kind of the seller doesn't yeah, the, the, really the buyer bore all the risk. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's less so that way. So again, we serve the premium market with premium sellers where you generally, I would almost argue that no deals, you know, that we deal with, um, we haven't done a hundred percent cash deal in a long time. Right. Because it, you're going for the premium multiple when you yeah, want absolutely. a premium multiple, the, the people, they have to stay on because again, you're, they are, gonna do that shared future and again if you guys are listening to it on, on on the audio if you go to the youtube scott this whole thing with his hands it was so beautiful it's like facing <laughs> each other and then facing out and like a, guys walking away <laughs> sunset on the deal but um 
So well, and, and you, yeah. you said one thing, though, that I do want to mention is that it's not only that you have to go work together, but back to the point is you're allowing the buyer to cash flow the purchase with the future profit of the business. Mm -hmm. So here's an important point about that. Even if you're not going to work with them at all, mm -hmm. um, the reason why we don't do any cash deals is if somebody's going to come out of pocket for 100% of a 3x multiple, mm -hmm. okay, um, do you think that they have had to price in a lower multiple in order to come up with that much cash? And the answer is yes. So the way that can we think- Can you clarify that? Can you clarify that? Yeah, well, the way we think about it is by definition, a 100% cash buyer has to pay less than somebody that will be willing to pay you 50% um, uh, uh, cash today and seller finance the second 50% over a year, right. because the second buyer has the ability to use the profit to finance the business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if somebody is only going to, uh, I've got two buyers, one of them says, I'm 100% cash buyer, I'm going to give you $3 million for this million dollar company. I can almost guarantee you that there's a buyer out there willing to pay 3.5 million and they'll pay you 2.8 million today or 2.5 million today. And in 12 months, they'll give you a million dollars and they'll put it on a loan because they get to finance the cash flow of the business. So almost by definition, when we do seller financing or when we do earnouts and rolled equity, is it, it you don't do those things if it's like taking away from the meal you do those as the dessert on top of what you weren't going to get anyway mm -hmm. and that's the mindset is if you're doing too risky a deal you know which we don't advise people to do but if you are it's because you're taking too much risk but if you're only going to find a buyer that's going to be willing to pay you three million dollars in cash why not find a buyer that'll pay you 2.8 million in cash with a million of upside enrolled equity and and, and i'm not saying that's that you upside should meaning if it grows or at if least, it grows because yeah. you're only giving up 200,000 or 300,000 in the exchange to get something more. Mm -hmm. So generally doing, again, thinking about it from the buyer's perspective, what you want to do is you want to create a deal that gets you enough cash at closing might be 75 or 80%, but the more you can be flexible to work within their structure, the more that you can typically maximize the lifetime effective multiple of a deal. Now, if you don't believe in your own business or you really believe that Amazon, you know, everything is really going, tomorrow. Yeah. you know, that, then you can look at it a different lens and we don't ever pick the lens for our clients. We do the math that allows them to see it clearly so that they can pick the lens. And what typically happens is when you do the math on it, you typically realize that it's better to give a little bit of seller financing. Um, and then if you want to get more risky, you put more out on an earnout. If you want to roll equity, you know, those types of structures tend to naturally happen because you're trying to align getting the right multiple and valuation with the right friendliness to the buyer. That's great. And I guess that's going to really depend, like, if you want to stick, you know, what you're going to do with the money, sorry. Like, yeah, if I want to take out the money and I Hey, I feel like I want to put all my money in stock or I have this apartment building I want to buy or, and that's going to do some X with the money. You might want all that money now, but realistically, you know, if you have $5 million exit, even $2 million, you may not spend it all in one go because that's kind of risky, right? That's double, double or nothing at the blackjack table. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You just cashed out. You probably want to take it a little slow. So the earnout probably is not such a bad deal for the seller. Um, really? Yes. And, and one of the things I, I'm glad you mentioned this, because one of the things I didn't realize until I did my first exit, um, I, what I didn't realize was a couple of really important facts. One of them is once you've exited your first business, 
do you think that there are a whole bunch of people that line up to want to then help you finance your next businesses? Mm, so most people don't realize it, but now all of a sudden they, 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 the expression they always used to use was they'd say, you know, I don't bet on the horses. I bet on the jockeys. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've now proven I can start a business, scale a business, grow a business, and that business created an exit. So when I exited my first business, what happened was a whole bunch of other people come out of the woodwork that then now want to, uh, I'll call it bet with you or bet on you. Mm -hmm. And so the, what I always encourage people is most people think that they want to sell their first company for $2 million, take the money from that and put it back into their next venture. And you want to put maybe some of it if you want. But what I always try and say is, no, the goal of exiting is to get this me account built up and diversify in stocks and maybe put 50,000 of your own money in and go find an investment partner um, that was willing to put another 50,000 of equity in and then and uh, maybe give up a small percentage of the company. Um, we, we recently did a transaction where um, we were able to get a company funded for a, a startup. Mm -hmm. didn't exist uh, except on paper. Um, uh, and uh, But we had the bio of some successful sellers um, and they gave up 15% uh, of the company. Um, and they were able to get um, uh, $1.5 million to start the company, 300,000 of equity, and 1.2 million on a line of credit. So what they were able to do was dramatically increase the capability. So if I asked you the question, would you rather start a company and own 100% of it and have your own money 100% or would you rather have $1.5 million and own 85% of it? And people can choose whatever they want, <laughs> right, right, but right. there's a lot of people there's that would option. say, wait. There is an option there. There is an option. So once you've exited your business, this is why I think it's important to think about exits maybe even sooner than what you think. Um, is that um, is that once you exit once and you've proven yourself, there will be people that want to partner with you to then grow. So you don't you put your money that you get from your exit as much as possible into a diversified portfolio and maybe a little bit back in, but then leverage up the other capital that's out there, not personally guaranteed again, but leverage up other capital that's out there to grow your next venture maybe larger and and have diversified your risk. So that I mean I think that's just a fundamental thing that until you exit you don't realize that that happens. Uh, and that was what happened to, to me to help grow my next businesses is that it was like, um, it was like, oh, well, no way. Wow. There's this whole market out there of people that want to invest in entrepreneurs that have been successful. And, and that's brilliant. And actually, actually, that's a really big benefit of selling. Because once you sell, I mean, one, I know there's a person who's selling, they're like, hey, they can go on like a click funnels and be like, I sold this company for $10 million. And like, that's some credibility. Um, but you've done it and you're going to have some attention and you can repeat it. And if I look at people like, uh, I don't know, Elon Musk, I don't know, he sold PayPal or whatever yep. he did. And then do the next thing and they sell and then move on to the next sell, move on to the next. It's not one big long deal um, because I guess you, it, you just get some momentum, right? You've made that big right. score. You've taken, like you said, 12 years of your earnings, put it into one go. Now you can start your next venture with a bunch of money. And I think that's a big benefit to selling just because, now you could, you have so much cash, you can do whatever you want to do. And you probably are so much smarter after growing and selling a business. 
Yeah. And, and what it also does is it helps you pick the next business that you should go in. Because usually once you go through an exit process, you realize that that company that I love, that holiday seasonality that I thought was really, really cool is actually a pain in the butt for a buyer because it's hard to inventory plan. Mm -hmm. And that sexy fad product that I love uh, that I thought was really, really cool and that there's a whole bunch of buyers that want the more boring and the more staple it is, the better it is because it just prints money every day. Um, you know, it, you get these whole of how to think about your business in a different way. And then that helps you pick what you want to go new next with your exit strategy in mind. So, you know, I guess if I had to kind of, you know, a couple sort of general summary thoughts of our discussion, one of them is um, the best time to figure out how to exit your business is before you get into it. Mm -hmm. So if you're in business now and you haven't figured out your exit, you're late. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so start thinking about it now. Um, um, uh, and then the second uh, uh, you know, law of that is, is once you exit your first business, you will realize for full measure um, uh, what a buyer really values, and it will help you plan every other thing that you do in business better, which then leads to the next, uh, the, the final axiom is that for almost every entrepreneur, I can almost guarantee it for every entrepreneur that's in a physical goods business like we are, well more than half of your money is going to come from your exits than when you're running your companies because you're always having to refeed even if you get good supplier terms you're having to refeed money back into your business and the money is in the harvesting so if you don't want to leave 80 cents out of every dollar on the table by definition you have to get smart at exits right awesome awesome and then one thing that you mentioned like after you sell people are gonna you know come to you uh how exactly does that happen is that because you do a press release on like Hey, yeah. Cordova's it, nice it, like, how do they find you? This, these, yeah, these it, it's, 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 it's like everything in life when I want it to happen and I try and make it happen, it doesn't. And when I just let it happen naturally, it seems like it, it, it can't stop happening. So it'll be the uncle that wants to hear the story about mm -hmm. your exit. And then it'll be the uncle who's got a buddy that works in corporate uh, that wants to understand it. And remember, there's a whole bunch of people out there that have been successful in life that have money that they want to place someplace, mm -hmm. but they don't have the entrepreneurial juice that we have in this industry and so they're looking for people that they can partner with or it'll you know you can certainly go looking for it um mm -hmm. uh, you know and there you know there's kind of lots of different places investment groups and all those types of things but i think if you asked uh, you know 100 entrepreneurs that exited their business how did they get funded from their next business it was I was a really good person. I treated people honestly. I met a whole <laughs> bunch of connections. And then when I exited my business and I got successful, I didn't over brag about what it was. I was just out there in the ecosystem and people found out about it and wanted to learn more about it. And then that led to an investor relationship that was the right type of a partnership. And, you know, it's kind of like how we found each other. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it wasn't that I was out there trying to tell you so much about what I know uh, about exiting. It was that we had a mutual friend we're talking about business and life and then it's like yeah this is what i spend my time doing every day you're you know a far better entrepreneur and building e-commerce businesses than i am and then you find that match it, it, you know that it, but i would just tell you that it happens a lot more when you exit because there's a notoriety around exits that gets out into your own ecosystem you know people are going to hear about it ask questions about it and then eventually that sparks discussions about well do you think you could do that again or what would mm -hmm. it take to do it again and it and it kind of organically grows from there. I'm not saying don't pursue it, but what uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs will tell you, certainly what happened to me is it kind of finds you as much as you find it. Yeah, yeah. 
And hey, when you have a couple million bucks, you know, you might get some attention, I guess, you know? Yeah. And then you can also, <laughs> you can take your time, take your time off to, to, to not jump into the first thing too quickly. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that's a lot of people got whatever they got success in is almost like happened by luck. It wasn't always like, Hey, this is what I'm going to make money. I tried so many different things. And, and then Amazon was one thing that actually worked, you know? So it wasn't that right. it was just by choice. And I love all this. I mean, I do actually love selling on Amazon. I think it's, I think it's, yeah. but um, <laughs> not everybody does, even if they're successful. So I think that's an, it's a great option. So to recap benefits of selling from Scott, uh, the man himself. Okay. First of all, you get a bunch of money off the table. Um, could be 12 years or more of your earnings that you actually would get otherwise when you pay yourself to, you have a bunch of capital then to do whatever the hell you want, any business you want, any niche you want, any market you want. I mean, you are ready to go. Um, another one is you can find then take all the money off the table. You can have investors. You can do another thing where you don't have all your personal money tied up in there. Um, I guess it's fun. I mean, those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, here's the the one that we didn't mention that is probably the one that I, we can sort of uh, uh, end on or summarize is when you double the size of your company and you're running it, did you get less busy or more busy? Probably more busy unless you're right. Smart, more busy, right? more problems, more mm -hmm. products. So that generally takes more time when you exit a business and you get more capital. What do you also get more than just a financial capital? Oh, a you lot get, of time you get your time back and it gives you this great opportunity to refocus on what you want to do. And I'll end with kind of where I started is that's why we always say we work for owners that have businesses. Just was talking with a successful entrepreneur today, got a 15 year old and a 10 year old. Hey, there's only so many years left that mm -hmm. you're going to have, you know, 15, you know, uh, you know, put yourself back when you were 15, were you out the door at 15? No, but was I mentally starting to check out? Well, <laughs> you know, maybe, right? So, um, what I, I, uh, when you exit your business, you get more capital, uh, you know, and it might not be 12 years for you, it might be four years or three years or eight years, whatever it is. That's the math part of it. But I can guarantee you that you get your time back to refocus on what you might want to reprioritize in your life. And so, that's the fundamental uh, uh, aspect beyond the economics. Um, uh, you know, I call it, um, you know, you, sometimes you have to sell your business to be able to see yourself, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in a new way. Uh, and so that'd be the last one I would add to, uh, to that list. Brilliant. Love that time. That's the most important one actually. Yep. Um, okay, good. So a uh, quick, uh, to wrap this up, I just do want to mention again, uh, I, myself, Aaron Cordovis, I am looking to buy companies. So if after all this, you're like, Hey, I would love to sell guys, reach out to me, Aaron at bigbrandproducts.com. I'll put it in the link. Um, I'm looking to buy any company, Amazon based $5 million purchase price and less. So if you have any company in that, please message me. And then Scott, if somebody wants to get, you know, premium multiple. And of course, as you said, this is not really all cash up front that you haven't dealt with those in a while. Someone who wants to either continue building, they want to get a premium multiple by doing these pre like, again, I've seen some of the deals you've done and it's like, Hey, these people are going to sell a percentage of the company, keep growing it have all this cap, like these crazy deals that are really exciting for business people to continue. But if they want a premium multiple, and let me see if I remember, premium valuation for premium accounts, okay? Uh, if you wanna go that route, how do they find you and your team? 
Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, if you want to reach me, it's just uh, Scott, my first name, S-C-O-T-T, at northboundgroup.com uh, or go to www.northboundgroup.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, happy to uh, take any questions that come on in. And, uh, you know, uh, we exist in this industry to be a resource for entrepreneurs to think about exits in a smarter way. So if you're, you know, uh, we're, we're happy to field questions, um, you know, those types of things. You don't have to have a client relationship. We have a passion around this. And we know that uh, eventually as people become more successful, um, you know, some of them will uh, want to work with us more directly. But uh, if you have any questions, just go to scott at northbound.com with an email or uh, hit the website. Awesome. Awesome, Scott. Thank you so much for all that. And I just, again, I'm going to just double up on the recommendation. I know people who have worked with you multiple. And if you want to put in the time to get the highest valuation, you're not just going to go, I want to brokerage, sell and be gone in a month. If you want to put that time in the business to make it absolutely more valuable and potentially get 10 times more than you were expecting, but you do want to do the work, absolutely going with Scott will be part of the best decision you'll do financially in your life. So uh, oh. that's the last plug for you, Scott. And uh, thanks so much. And uh, see you next Thanks time. a lot, Aaron. Great talking, man.